0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Lower Decks, Hearth Ferengi's Heart Place. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stieha. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to stick around to the end of the episode. We have more of your wonderful listener feedback that we love to get and to discuss. Uh, Remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Starquest Media. Retweet us on Twitter at SQPN and leave us comments wherever you find us. So again, more feedback for us to share. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest network you are certain to enjoy called The Secrets of Technology. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash technology. So, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in Parth Ferengi's Heartplace? This week, the
1: mystery ship destroys a Ferengi vessel, and it seems that one of the Ferengi lower deckers may have been in league with it. Meanwhile, the Cerritos has gone to Ferenginar to sign a deal that could lead to the Ferengi joining the Federation, so we get an episode focused on Grand Nagus Ram and First Clerk Lita. Also, our Lower Deckers are assigned to update Starfleet's files in a Ferenginar travel guide for officers who may visit the planet in the future. Boimler plans to visit and review an impossible number of locations, but gets sidetracked and watches eight hours of Ferengi TV instead. (laughs) Mariner goes to meet her friend Quimp, who we've met before and she gets outrageously drunk and starts a fight with Ferengi bikers. This forces Quimp to bribe her out of jail, and he doesn't know why she's still rebelling when everything is going so good for her. Rutherford and Tendy are assigned to impersonate a married couple, and they're given a deluxe newlyweds discount package on the planet. And it turns out that if you fake a relationship to get this discount package, you're sentenced to life in the underwater sulfur mines. So they really have to fake it no matter how uncomfortable it gets. Eventually, Dr. Miglimo uh, shows up and almost blows their cover, but they turn the tables by portraying him as a homewrecker and announce that they're getting a divorce so they can go back to the ship. Meanwhile, Captain Freeman becomes increasingly frustrated with the Admiral who's overseeing the Fringi signing. It's obvious to her that Rahm and Lita are running a scam on him, but he's oblivious to it. Eventually, Captain Freeman announces that she's accepted all of the Fringi contract amendments, which will put the Federation in debt to Fringinar forever but she's also added one provision, that the Ferengi have to get another planet to join also for those provisions to go into effect. Rama immediately agrees and signs, thinking that it will be easy to get a planet in debt to the Ferengi to join the Federation. And then Captain Freeman reveals that he didn't read the fine print, also known as the Ferengi print. There's a specific planet they have to get to agree to join the Federation, not just any planet. It's the Klingon homeworld, which will be (laughs) an impossible task. Rom is delighted that she swindled him, as this shows they respect Ferengi culture. He then agrees to sign the unmodified contract without all the crazy amendments. The end. (laughs) So uh, overall impressions, Father Corey?
2: I enjoyed this. Of course, you know, it's fun to see the Ferengi, especially you know, with the development that happened through DS Nine, and you know, kind of continuing with that, because uh, they they can do so much silly, ridiculous things. You know, just poking at the excesses of capitalism and just ridiculousness in general. Um, Ram and Lita was awesome. Max Gronachek and uh, Chase Masterson doing their roles again, awesome. That was, I mean, that was
1: just that was the the piece to resistance of this episode. Yep,
0: nice. How about you, Jimmy?
1: Oh yeah, I enjoyed it. It was great seeing Ram and Lita again. Um, it's nice seeing Rom in the role as Grand Nagus because we never yeah. got to see that. I mean, we had an idea of how he governed, basically a lot like Mugi. Um yeah. but but you know, Mugi wasn't all sweetness and light. She was a Ferengi, and so it's it's nice to see you know how 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 things are working out. Um, one thing that I wish that they would do and that I would do if I was writing, if I had the opportunity to write for Star Trek television and involve the Ferengi is I would have an episode focusing on how horrific Ferengi find progressive tax rates where, where where you charge people who are rich a higher percentage because, because you could have using Ferengi logic. Not only does that disincentivize wealth accumulation, which is what you want, Mm -hmm. but if you charge poor people less, you incentivize poverty. You should. We need a regressive tax rate. The poor should be motivated to rise in wealth and get out of their poverty (laughs) by being charged (laughs) a higher tax rate. How can you humans be so non compassionate towards the poor in your own society? You need to motivate them to
0: become wealthy. That would be fun. (laughs) That would be good. (laughs) I I enjoyed it too. I like seeing Rom showing the lobes for business, as cork would say cork mm-hmm. always accused him of not having the lobes for business, but rom clearly and Lita clearly have uh, the the ability to to really be leaders of Frankenar. Uh, I do see Moogie's influence where lower decks did not um try to get away with having uh, naked females. Uh, uh, on mm-hmm. the planet so that's that that's a nice uh, a progressive addition <laughs> to the yeah. Ferengi culture thank you um but I I did I did enjoy the 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 lower decks uh, another lower decks look at Ferengi because of course Ferengi the Ferengi culture is just perfect for lower decks because it is funny at times I mean it mm-hmm. is it is it is a parody it's a par- already it's yeah. a parody yeah. culture yeah so it is fun.
2: I love that they, they poked at, you know, something very serious and very important are, you know, memorials to those who have died, died during war. But of course, in the Frankie culture, it would be that they died. It's that they lost their wealth.
0: <laughs> right. It's and a there's memorial. a guy leaning on it. So much wealth lost. <laughs> the memorial to lost profits, I think is what it was. <laughs> in all the bank accounts. Oh, yeah, that was, that was, that was amusing. Um, so uh, we start with, more uh more Lower Deckers, these, this time Ferengi. So each each time that encounter with that alien ship is a different culture, Lower Deckers. One thing I noticed is the encounter recurs at the time that Lower Deckers are complaining about their captain in each of those mm-hmm. encounters. Now, it may be just that Lower Deckers like to complain about their captains. And that's just a coincidence. I don't know if they're making that part of the story, but it's kind of interesting to see. And maybe the difference when it comes to ty- time for the Cerritos to uh, inevitably encounter the ship that the Lower Deckers won't be complaining about, Captain Freeman. The Lower Deckers
1: also that get destroyed are all talking about how they plan on, at least one of them is talking about how they plan on moving up in the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Yeah, and that could be, that could be injured because with uh, our Lower Deckers and the Cerritos, they've just been promoted. So they've still got kind of that, promo- that promotion high of, yeah, we have moved up. One step.
0: Right. So there may be difference there.
1: Yeah. In in this sequence, so one of the lower deck, one of the Ferengi lower deckers, uh, when the mystery ship shows up, he says something like right on time, indicating he's in league with it and has some knowledge of the mystery ship. Um, And when they get on the bridge, the captain of the Ferengi ship says he doesn't trust this lower decker and knows something is going on with him. And he orders him to be spaced so mm-hmm. it's like take him to the airlock and shove him out. But seemingly at that moment, the the mystery ship destroys everybody, yep. in, including the one that was in league with it. So that lower decker might be dead, or they could fudge it and say he got airlocked first. And so we may see him again in the future.
0: Mm, interesting. I, I wonder even if the, these ships are all getting actually destroyed or not, and maybe... They're getting transported we, or something. We did, we did see the Romulan
2: ship completely destroyed, where they show the the the, uh, Wreck- the debris the field from it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, but are the people getting beamed? I mean, it's it's Star Trek; they can wave a hand at you know yeah. they've been transported away or something. Um, I'm just curious to see what where where that's going. So it'll be interesting. I do note that they mentioned in before they are destroyed that Grand Negus Rom has ordered all Ferengi to get out of the. Arm sales. They're no longer mm-hmm. the weapons dealers of the quadrant. So that uh interesting little bit of progressivism from from Rom there. Um and it also interesting that they've established that ferenginar wants to become part of the Federation, which we saw in what, fourth season discovery that the Ferengi are uh mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. of the Federation in the f- thousand years in the future or whatever. And so, there
2: there have been alternate timelines where that's happened as well.
0: Right, right. So uh interesting to see there. Um uh, the admiral that is sent to, uh, it, it, I mean, it is in incompetence of the highest scale that Starfleet Command has put this particular idiot admiral in charge of these negotiations. Yeah. What, were there no ambassadors from Vulcan available or anything like, like, yeah. why send this admiral? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, but of course, we do it for the comedic uh, opportunity. But I mean, he is just so clear. He thinks it's going to be a cakewalk and he gets totally like, goes to the car, he's going to a car dealership and buying a car thinking he's going to you know, put one over on the uh, salesman and it goes mm-hmm. bad.
1: And the Peter principle seems to be alive and well in Starfleet. You know, you get yep. the idea you get promoted to your level of incompetence. And because if you look back at even next gen or even the original series, the admirals mm-hmm. are the incompetent ones. Yeah. You know, it's because yep. we've got to make our, regu- our cast regulars look good. And that means the admirals who come in to give them orders more often than you would expect are going to end up being corrupt or stupid or something.
0: (laughs) You want the good the good ones, the good officers, keep them in the captain's chairs. You promote the other guys up.
1: (laughs) They even they even promoted Kirk to his level of incompetence and then booted him back down to being a captain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's kind of like politicians. Those who would make good politicians are
2: the ones who don't want the job.
0: Right, right. So, uh, speaking of uh, coveted jobs, the apparently the most coveted job of all of Starfleet is travel guide duty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, getting sent to write the travel guide for whatever new planet will become uh, a destination, and so our four.
1: And, and this this mm-hmm. is kind of a real thing because, like, mm-hmm. I know, like back during uh, back during World War II and the Korean War and things like that, they would have like training films. For U.S. servicemen, explaining the local culture to them mm-hmm. and what to do and not do, and so I, I assume they have that going on today. And I, yeah. it just makes sense if you've got troops going into a place, you don't want them causing problems. So give them some education first.
2: Yeah, it's yeah, we did it when we when I went to Saudi Arabia, we had to go through some of that kind of stuff where we talked about the cultures and and when I I was a job where occasionally I had to go off of the base in, into actual Riyadh. Mm-hmm. And we actually had to watch, you know, training videos and things talking about what driving is like in Saudi Arabia, which is basically chaos. Mm-hmm. So we had to, you know, they they actually had a term Saudi sweep of driving from driving in the left hand lane. And, oh, there's my exit. <laughs> Sounds so, like driving stuff like in that. Rome.
0: <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yes. Uh so our four junior officers are being paid to go to all the tourist spots on Frenenar and, and you know having they have like a big expense account to do so um and Tendy and Rutherford have to pretend to be married and the, the comedy in this is that we all know that there's a sub a romantic subtext between these two characters mm-hmm. that have been, has been there from the beginning
1: that they don't kind, want to acknowledge
0: they, right. they they're pretending it isn't there and they're sort of put into these situations over and over again, where they're kind of forced to confront it in themselves. And that's the comedy in this episode. And it's fun. It's, it's, it's amusing because, you know, I don't know if, if you guys, but I kind of it, it's kind of nice. I want, they're the nice couple. It would be nice for mm-hmm. them to get together. So I I think that's cute and fun. Well,
2: It was, it was fun where they were getting ready to check into the hotel and they're talking about all these things and, and we get be naked in front of each
0: other wait and also they both blush, <laughs> they both blush. right <laughs> right as a married couple um and mariner is at first interested and then as you mentioned she 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 gets kind of resentful but she 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 calls um for for rank is what heaven would be like if god was stupid which <laughs> because it's um you know it's it's like a crazy touristy place where everybody's trying to take advantage of you and you know it's so it seems like oh it's it's like vegas you know hey vegas mm-hmm. it's fun vegas it's cool. amped up yeah, yeah but everything everybody's trying to take your money from you um and as you mentioned uh boimler is doing his usual thing where he says, I'm going to do the impossible and go over the top and fulfilling my mission and, and visit an impossible number of places. And ransom, meanwhile, is trying to do a nice thing. Like, it's interesting to see how mm-hmm. ransom has changed this season. Mm-hmm. Now that they're junior mm-hmm. officers, he's keeps trying to do nice things for them and they keep <laughs> messing it up for themselves. Um, and he's like to, to tell him, boy, like Hey, relax, have fun with this. This is this, you're going to enjoy this. Um, and no, uh, yeah and and so with the best of intentions
1: Boimler being an intentional over and overachiever ends up achieving nothing. Yeah. All he 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 gets into his 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 suite in the hotel, he checks out, he does his suite inspection routine and in the process he turns on the television and spends 8 hours watching shows <laughs> instead of going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and the shows he's watching, he watches the first one of the first things he encounters is a commercial. Which makes sense since they don't have in the Federation, they allegedly don't have money anymore. So you wouldn't have commercials um, to pay for TV shows. But um, then he watches a TV show about two guys who are cop landlords, (laughs) which is, to my mind, a weird combination, but okay. And then he watches another show called Will They, Won't They, where everyone is secretly in love with everybody else.
0: Yeah, right. Right. Um, yeah. Eight hours of sleazy, fringy TV in the hotel well, room. Um, I love the idea of the commercials, because, of course, you go back to
2: DS9 and Quark gets a commercial, gets commercials into the replicator, including like
0: mugs with his logo on it and stuff like that. It's a great idea, actually. I mean, if every time someone <laughs> gets a drink out of the replicator, it's got your logo on it. Exactly. It's a great opportunity. I <laughs> I, I respect that. Meanwhile, uh, mariner finds her friend Quimp, and they go to who who is uh, to re- help people remember him. He's the little fringy
1: with the monocle that we met in episode two of the series. Mm. That it goes and, back, it, yep. and it was clear that that mariner really knew him because even back then it, he was not a casual acquaintance of hers because he was helping her by impersonating a villain. Mm-hmm. in order to help Boimler. And yep. so they already had a well-established relationship, apparently. And so it would be make sense if she's on Fringanar, look him up.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go out to, uh, to hang out and they go to the Ferengi Public Library, which is a casino, as you'd expect. <laughs> yeah.
1: He says no one's checked out. No one's read a book here in a thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> Although I kind of I, I, I understand why they didn't show it to us. But, you know, there are lots of Easter eggs in the background, as usual. And one of them is Uncle Quark's Youth Casino. Oh, yeah. <laughs> i can only imagine i probably don't want to imagine what goes on in uncle quark's youth casino. um also we get tons of ads for for sluggo cola mm-hmm. um and we see people drinking sluggo cola which is from deep space nine Yep. But I didn't see any mentions of Eelwasser, slug colas rival. They're the Coke and Pepsi of the Ferengi uh,
2: commerce must, empire. Must have, must have ran them out of business. Yeah,
0: Monopoly, monopoly which is the uh, Ferengi goal, I guess. But uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and eventually, uh, Tendi and Rutherford end up at... Quark Starfleet Experience Bar and Grill, which I, I, it's got to be a reference to the Vegas, the old Vegas attraction, the Star Star Trek experience.
1: It's apparently based on the things that they encounter there are apparently based on things in the Vegas Star Trek experience.
0: I mean, it is, uh, which, if for people don't know, there was a casino, I forget which casino it was, but there was a casino that had a whole Star Trek experience. There was a restaurant in there, but there was also like a show you can be part of. Mm -hmm. um like a play yeah Mm -hmm.
2: yeah well they actually had replicated the enterprise d bridge right right and so you could dress up in character and everything and be part of a story
0: yeah so kind of i i always wanted to go as of course as a check checky um oh yeah even even as cheesy as it would be in vegas um and sad to say that eventually closed down but uh yeah they have to what is it? there was like a shuttle craft that's the buffet and like there's all these different elements from ds9 and, and star, uh, star trek and it or starfleet and um they're told they have to spend the dinner truthfully admitting something they find attractive about each other and there's a lie detector built into their chairs
1: and they have to yeah. admit something they find attractive about each other with every bite
0: every <laughs> right, yes. right. <laughs> which you know it it's like designed to mortify two people who are pretending that they don't find each other attractive but are pretending to find each other attractive i, I well, mean it's just it's 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 set for comedy well and
2: as as they're getting ready to admit to their their host their photographer whatever the guy is that there this Your, really is just hug, a setup
1: hugsierge hugs yeah hugsierge
2: <laughs> that that as they're getting ready to admit to him that this is this is really just kind of a thing to check it out for starfleet somebody at another table gets caught that they were actually faking this and get thrown as you mentioned in the the summary get mentioned into the salt mines or the sulfur mines aquatic right. sulfur like, mines <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: which is bad cuz sulfur and, and water don't mix right that's like is or is that some another element magnesium No oh, you're thinking uh, sodium 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 and water don't mix right raw, like, raw sodium yeah explosive combination um but yes right and so they have to dial back until Dr. Migliemo shows up again who has become the sort of the straight man to a lot of comedy recently uh, mm-hmm. which he he works out well for that um they
1: also tied in historically he
0: his speech has just been littered
1: with food references And they actually, they pay that off here. He tells the Ferengi that his race invented space flight to seek out strange new meals. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) And I, and I love my own heart. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And and I love how, you know, an epi last episode, he was when everyone's emotions were going crazy, he was berating a, um, a replicator for serving mm-hmm. him food that did not feel like it had been regurgitated <laughs> yeah. um, you know given that that's how baby birds feed and in, yeah. and um in this episode when after after Rutherford and Tendi have have to save themselves they framed him as a home wrecker mm-hmm. the Ferengi offer him a home wrecker package and he says, You don't have to throw up in my mouth twice. Let's do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Cause he comes in and almost blows the their cover by saying, uh, mm-hmm. You know, oh, uh, you're famously platonic couple. Yeah. Well, you yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. The
1: closest, the closest platonic friends on my ship.
0: <laughs> yes. Yep. And, uh, and then that's when they do the whole, you know, you're trying to break us up and, uh, you know, they, uh, they create the distraction. So that that was fun. And we're, we're, we're divorced now and they walk off and go back to the ship. Mm-hmm. So um, meanwhile, Mariner's subplot is like, why is she acting like this? Why is she getting into bar fights and doing all these things that she ought not do, which is a continuation from previous episodes. Like this mm-hmm. has been an ongoing thing for Mariner. And, and she's act- this, this, yep. this, this
1: hits it harder than it's mm-hmm. been hit before. So I'm sensing a turning point for her is coming.
0: Right. Yep. She's acting out over Ransom, treating her with respect and, and Quimp calls her for putting on an immature rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, like, I, I, does... I like,
1: I like before that he, he, as they're going around to these different places, including the library, you know, she's drinking all this stuff and they call out one of the visual. They did this last episode too, with the, uh, Beta z ambassadors, you know, with the yard long drinks saying, I'll take anything as long as it's green and glowing. Mm-hmm. And because glowing is the standard thing for drinks mm-hmm. on yeah. lower decks. And in this episode, Quimp turns to Mariner and says, you can still drink an alarming amount of glowing alien liqueurs. <laughs>
0: but- <laughs> So when uh, she first sits down, she tells the guy to like bring bring them a bunch of like uh, shots, and then as the waiter walks away, she's like got a shot in her hand. He's like, "Where'd you get that? You didn't even bring that to you." Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and he just call it out. That doesn't matter. Chugs it and throws it. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, so she's acting out. She apologizes to Quimp, um, but he does warn her she needs to figure out what's bothering her so much, Hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. before it goes bad. So yeah, I think. Probably next episode or soon, we're going to get a resolution to whatever this is that's bugging her. Um, meanwhile, Captain Freeman eventually swindles her way out of the bad contract that this Admiral's rushing headlong into. I, I love how it starts where Lita and Rom
1: show up in the ready room or whatever it is, and they've got this enormous gold bust of of the Admiral and and they say like we hereby present you with the bust of good fortune and he yep. takes it and he's starting to be nice and gracious and accepting it and the ceremonial invoice for the bust of good fortune. So <laughs> yeah. they, want to, they want him to pay for it now.
0: Yep. It's <laughs> not a game. Game.
1: And and then as the negotiations continue, Rom like starts to be distracted by the idea of baseball and mm-hmm. everything to him suddenly becomes about baseball. Meanwhile, Lita is trying to move the negotiations forward. And, and it's this weird... Weird dynamic and Captain Freeman turns to the Admiral and says, Admiral, this is a classic classic dumb cop, reasonable cop routine. <laughs> 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 Bad cop, good cop. One of them's yep. dumb and one of them's reasonable. Okay. I guess that's yep. a routine in the twenty-fourth century.
2: Well, yeah. I like that where she goes, Well, you know, we, we really need to, you know, be able to edit the document to be able to really look at it well. And there's a couple little things we want to change. Nothing too serious. And of course <laughs> yeah. as they go along it gets worse and worse and you know eventually it's like they you know the the Fran- Frankie have title to all of Starfleet ships and
0: <laughs> right. you know. like he's this admiral is basically signing away the federation to F- Uh I mean he's given away the you know the the, bar, the, the farm uh on yeah. this and and he's just as this- clueless as he's being led down this merry path because
2: he doesn't he doesn't want to have to go back to his superiors and say that he blew what should have been a quick sign and go type of negotiation
1: right i I like Lita's take on it at the end um Mm -hmm. because you know she's not a Ferengi. she's a she's a um she's a bajoran Mm -hmm. and so how how does she what's her perspective on all of this because there were episodes of deep space nine where she would give rom pushback on yep. on Ferengi things that he wanted to do, um, like about their wedding and stuff like that. And um, and so it's interesting to see how she fits into all this. She gets to be the reasonable, the reasonable cop, you know, the mm-hmm. one who's like, let's try to get this business done. Whereas Ram is just fantasizing about baseball Um, but then at the end, after, after Captain Freeman has swindled them, uh, she kind of offers a justification or explanation for their approach, which is even though he's Grand Nagus, you know, the Grand Nagus, Rama's Grand Nagus, the Grand Nagus can't just sign with a bunch of suckers and rubes. Mm -hmm. And so you've shown that you're not suckers and rubes and thus now we can really negotiate with you.
2: Right. Well, and Rom even even says, you know, I appreciate you understand our culture. You know, we're we're always a joke in the quadrant, but you recognize us as you know our culture and played within that culture.
0: And I do like it that Lita is he is is doing all this not because she's motivated primarily by profit; she's moti- motivated primarily by protecting Rom, yeah, and Rom's position, and that's why she's doing all this because you know Lita, I, you know, I presume has Rom. good. Right. Yeah. I presume yeah. she has good feelings about the Federation, given everything that happened at DS9. But, you know, she wants to protect Rom. And so this is how you do it. So, I yeah, I appreciate the, the good characterization that even in the midst of this funny comedic story, mm-hmm. there's good characterization of these characters that we know so well. So I, I appreciate right. that. That was good.
2: Well, it it really does even show the intelligence of Rom to to let it go the way it did you yeah. know because he, he i mean he was he was played as again as a rube as a as you know a dimwit but he was actually much smarter than Quark would give him well credit for yeah and they kind of played into that with this by again letting him pretend to be the the
1: dimwit again
0: which is something zek before him did occasionally you know mm-hmm. let people make assumptions and get led astray
1: and moogie was the real brains
0: that's right yep. that's right so uh nice continuity there. Uh, any other notes on this episode? Father Corey?
2: No, I did. I did love the baseball part though, especially when he throws the baseball through the, uh, the display screen <laughs>
0: yeah. and it's just
2: sitting there. <laughs> they, 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 you see every time they show it, it's still sitting there. Uh, no, I, I enjoy that. Cause of course, you know, Rom got to love baseball through captain Cisco.
1: That's right. How about you, Jimmy? On the Ferengi ship at the beginning, the one that gets destroyed, they're going through, you know, the weapons they're not going to be selling anymore. And one of the things they've got is a revamped Genesis device. That's right. right. It's like that's used in terraforming planets and stuff. And it's like, oh, wow. Um, I wonder if they solved the proto matter problem with that.
0: <laughs> you fool. It's you it's almost activated it. <laughs> yeah. It's a mini version. It's the mini version. It's the mini version oh man um that's the second time we've recently seen a genesis device right we saw mm-hmm. the genesis device in picard season three mm-hmm. yep yep um, yep so
1: in terms of you fool you almost activated it there's a there's a, a, a in orson scott cards Ender universe interverse um there's two sort of forks of the novels. One of them is the Ender fork that follows the character Ender Wiggins. The other is the Bean fork that follows a character named Bean. And the Bean fork is actually the better one. Mm. But in the Ender fork, as it goes along, the novels become progressively slower in plot. And they have at one Mm. point a they have this device. It's it's a planet killer. It's called the MD for Matter Destructor Device or something like that. It's also known as since it's the MD device, it's called the Little Doctor. Mm -hmm. And at one point, the Galactic Starways Congress decides one planet needs to be destroyed where our main characters all are. And they Hmm. they send um, an MD device or little doctor to destroy the planet. And it takes like two novels to get there. (laughs) And at the end, the uh, our our main characters are able to get to the little doctor before it goes off and defuse it. And there's a question of how did you defuse it so rapidly? And it's like, oh, it's written all over the outside how to defuse it. They don't want these things going off accidentally.
0: (laughs) That's a really good point. I would hope they would do that on the outside of nuclear weapons uh, in, in, in real life. By the way, if this starts to go. Cut this wire, press here, press here, you know. press, here. Yeah. press yeah. this button. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, uh, the, so that, uh, that's our discussion of uh, Hearth Ferengi's uh, Heart Place. Oh, we know we never mentioned what the title is a reference to. None of us apparently understand the reference, no. but it is refers to the British comedy horror miniseries Garth Marenghi's Dark Place.
1: Yeah, I haven't. Don't, don't know that. Well,
0: if it means something to you as a listener, let us know <laughs> what you think about that. Uh, but in any case, that is our discussion of that. And we do have feedback. So let me get to that right now. On our recent episode on empathological fallacies, uh, the one titled Pathological Fallacies, Kelly wrote on YouTube, I thought this was an okay episode, but it definitely wasn't my favorite of the season. I immediately deduced that the cause of the problem was going to be to Lynn because I know how much Lower Decks likes to subvert expectations. You expect that the cause is the Betazoids, so the show wants to subvert those expectations. Your discussion about accents was interesting. I'm from East Tennessee, and I also have a difficult time distinguishing accents of Northerners, while I can distinguish multiple variations of Southern accents. I always find it funny when there's a movie or TV show that features a Southern character. Their accent is usually all over the place. It'll start in one region and end up in another region, sometimes all in the same sentence. Yeah, I know what
1: you mean. And and I think everybody's good at distinguishing the accents that they grew up with in, mm-hmm. in their own general region. And then it becomes harder to distinguish accents for more distant regions. I have the same thing. I'm not as good at Northern accents as I am at Southern accents. In terms of, you know, picking them out and identifying where they're from Um, there. I'm a little better at it now than I was because I've I've done linguistics as a hobby. And Mm -hmm. so that's alerted me to notice certain features that I wouldn't notice originally. Um, But I also know about, you know, inconsistency in accents. In fact, mine is inconsistent right now because I spent 30 years in California suppressing Southern elements in my speech But now Mm -hmm. that I'm living back in the Ozarks, I'm 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 letting an accent come out and it'll eventually stabilize. But I know right now, because Mm -hmm. I've got that California in my head, it's 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 somewhat inconsistent and variable, but that'll stabilize eventually.
0: Um, It's uh, for people who do who do accents that aren't their own. I would say as a general uh, statement. British actors do American accents better than Americans do British accents. I, I think in general, I have found.
1: Maybe with some exceptions, like Nicola Bryant.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yes. She
1: played well, per- yeah. Perry on Doctor Who. It's like, she's not even doing one American accent. She's all over the place. <laughs>
0: well, or Benedict Cumberbatch doing a Boston accent. That was always, mm-hmm. that was quite amusing. That was, the, the, I have to say about that oh, one. <laughs> what was that in? Oh, um, it was the one about the... Uh, the Bulger brothers, the uh, famously mm. Whitey mm. Bulger, the gangster, mm. and his brother, who was the Senate president of the state legislature, and mm. he played mm. the legislator. Uh, Interesting. And he was doing. I don't remember the off time I had. What which Black Mass was it called? I forget exactly. I think the book was called Black Mass, and they called the the movie was something else. But in any case, yeah, it was not a good. <laughs> it was very stereotypical. Ted Kennedy well, as a don't. Bostonian. Don't get me started on the movie Fargo
2: and Northern accents. (laughs) They they took a they took a Fargo accent, a Minnesota accent
0: and really ramped it up. You have to sure. Don't you know? Oh yeah, you betcha. Um, Mm -hmm. So (laughs) there was a lot of discussion of accents uh, in our social media and on our discord, uh, by the way, after that Mm -hmm. uh, episode. So a lot of fun. Uh, And then our next feedback comes on our, well, it comes as a result of our episode discussing in the cradle of Vexelon. It came from Chris via email who writes, I begin all of these emails writing this, but it bears repeating, I very much enjoy your podcast and hearing the three of you analyze and react. In fact, it's because of the secrets of Star Trek that I'm watching Lower Decks in real time versus cool. trying to binge it. There was a recent article with the showrunner encouraging people to watch the show, I think in real time, to help it get renewed They should on Paramount+. Plus. They should think about promoting your podcast as a way to do that. Uh, which I humbly uh, am grateful for that suggestion. Thank you. Yeah, we'd, exactly. love that. we'd be happy
1: yeah. to do some kind of work with lower decks folks to try to, you yeah. know, bring extra attention to them and help them get renewed because they deserve to be renewed.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
1: This is one of the best Star Trek shows uh, uh, available and it should go on indefinitely as far as i'm concerned agreed right if absolutely if, agreed
0: if paramount is dumb enough to not renew lower decks which has to be among the cheapest of star trek shows to produce because there's no visual effects <laughs> like you know that yeah. the, the cgi um
2: and unfortunately animation has gotten really expensive as well though because uh, it is all generated you know so, so to speak yeah, i guess so. um yeah but it, gets sidetracked it, it's a problem across all streaming services because they you know they had they all came out and they've got all these different streaming services with different packages and different programming and everything and now people are getting so tired of it that things like Paramount Plus which really only has Star Trek and the the Taylor Sheridan programs Yellowstone and other programs he's done that's really the only thing they have that's not available on like cable or something like that right
0: right yeah that's But Star Trek is your bread and butter on Paramount+. And if they want to succeed, they better get off their butt and do more. So anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, Chris continues, two quick items. I don't think any of you brought this up in your review of the Cradle of X, in the Cradle of Exelon, but the room Boimler wakes up in after he dies seems to be an homage to the end of 2001, A Space Odyssey, when the astronaut, famously Dave uh, mm-hmm. ends up in a similar neoclassical room before evolving into a new life form or whatever happens. Not exactly sure.
1: <laughs> so yeah. I'd have to go back and rewatch in the cradle of X Ex- of Exelon. to look at the layout of that room again. What mm-hmm. I remember is that it had a window and out the window, we yep. can see a black mountain, you know, the black mountain. And I also yep. remember that, um, that Boimler was sitting in a chair Mm -hmm. on the right-hand side of the screen. And all three of those factors are different than the room that Dave Bowman is in at the end of a space of 2001. There are no windows. The room is completely sealed. Um, he's not sitting in a chair, at least not, that's not the most famous part of it. The most famous part is when he's lying in a bed on the left-hand side of the screen rather than the right-hand side of the screen. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know if it's meant to be evocative of that room, but I could go, I'd have to go back and check. Yeah, I just, I just
2: looked up images of it online just real quick and it it doesn't look anything like The room. And I think, I think, Jimmy, you had mentioned that it looked more like Picard when it was
0: Picard was talking with Mm -hmm. Data. That's I was about to say. Yeah, I think it's more evocative of that than than of 2001. But, you know, up to upper interpretation, I suppose. Yeah. And then he says, second, have any of you heard of the nitpickers guide to Star Trek? It was a series Mm -hmm. of books that a guy, Philip Phil Ferrand, wrote in the 90s. I believe there were four in total, three covering TNG and classic track and a fourth covering DS9. They're funny and originated with him being annoyed at how inconsistent <laughs> TNG was with their tapping or not tapping their communicators. He covers some of the same topics that come up in any analysis of Trek, for example, is Starfleet military? And also tracks technical inconsistencies and changed premises from episode to episode. I never got the DS9 book and it seems to be out of print and very expensive but the others are available and I think you'd enjoy them. I don't know what happened to the author or why he didn't continue to write them. And then Chris sent a follow-up email where he said he did find the DS9 book on eBay hmm. for a very reasonable price.
1: I have heard of uh, The Nitpicker's Guide to Star Trek. In fact, I have several of those books um, and hmm. they are a lot of fun. Um, I even had one, I, I may still have it, Of uh, it was effectively A Nitpicker's Guide to the X-Files. Hmm. Um, so it was kind of the same premise, but it was by a group of guys and they are a lot of fun. Uh, so people can check those out in terms of, you know, whether or not people touch their communicators. I actually think that that's something that I I understand at the time the shows were made why you would want them to touch their communicators, but I actually think you can understand it, it even if they don't. Mm -hmm. Because I don't have to use, I don't have to touch my Amazon Echo to get it to activate and execute my commands. Mm -hmm. And even in the series, they can just say computer and start talking to a computer and have it do stuff. So if I'm down on a planet in an away team, and let's say, I mean, even by the 23rd century, um, let's say Lieutenant Uhura is monitoring the radio station up there. I should Mm -hmm. be able to just be standing on a planet and say, Lieutenant Uhura, can you tell me what's going on with this? And it should be able to figure out from context Mm -hmm. that I want to place a call to Lieutenant Uhura. And I don't, I wouldn't even need to say, get me Lieutenant Uhura or touch something or. It should, computers should be able to figure that out from context. We're on the verge of that now with abilities Mm -hmm. to verbally command our home devices.
0: I'm sorry, I can't perform that action now. Could you... (laughs) Can you do that yeah. on, your, on your iPhone? Yeah. <laughs> so well, in Voyager, just got rid of the the tapping the comm
2: altogether. They yeah. just they just even didn't even bother. They do it every once in a while, it but it wasn't necessary.
0: I did always wonder, like, how did they not accidentally call other people all the time when they were talking about them? Well, okay. I was talking to Chakotay. Did you call me, Captain? No, it was the <laughs> stupid communicator again. <laughs> well, I, that's
1: where I assume computer technology has advanced enough they can determine it from context. Is this a communications request or Tw- not? Yeah. 24th century chat GPT
2: was smart enough to figure that out.
0: I often wondered how did it know when they were done communicating? You know, like, how mm-hmm. did it know that I'm done, I'm done talking to him, I'm talking to the person in front of me now, but, you well, know. Context. That's just like the
2: doors. Yeah. That's just like the doors. How does the door know when they're walking towards it that they actually want to go out or they're going to turn around and talk to the person more? <laughs>
0: Because the stage hand, like right off the side, has the script. (laughs) Yep. Yep. All right. So thank you uh, both for the feedback. It was really appreciated. So we'd like to, at this moment, take it uh, time to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including David S., Richard V., Janelle K., Tracy H., and William S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us this time. What did you think of Parth Ferengi's Heart Place? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media, send an email to trek at sqpn.com, visit our StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord, or you can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media, and leave a comment there. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Lower Decks, a few badgies more. Mm. Uh-oh. <laughs> Wonder what that means. Until then, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, and
1: remember the very first rule of acquisition. Once you have your, their money, you never give it back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and Father Corey Stika,
2: thank you as well. I'll be very disappointed if the next episode isn't Western.
0: <laughs> With a bunch of babies. Thank you, Dom. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, wow, it's like what heaven would look like if God was stupid.